0: I'm Lisa Dale Miller, and you are about to hear the second of two talks I delivered at Marin Sangha in May of 2016. The first talk was on delusion, or deluded mind, and this second talk is on non-delusion, or the undiluted reception of the way things actually are according to Buddhist psychology and Buddhist philosophy. So I'm just going to start with a couple of quotes. Tonight's going to be a little different than last week. I'm going to be expounding a bit more than I did last week, so forgive me for my expounding. But when we talk about non-delusion in Buddhism, things can run the full gamut from very mundane, very practical, to what appears to be very esoteric and ungraspable. So a few quotes, I think, will help us begin where we actually are, which I think is a good place to start, or at least where I am. I don't know about the rest of you. You may all be enlightened already. I know I am not. So the first quote is from Shantideva. He wrote an incredible treatise called The Way of the Bodhisattva. And for any of you who are interested in vigilant mindfulness and full-on total compassion, I highly recommend that you read The Way of the Bodhisattva. So this is from Shantideva. Although today I am healthy, well-nourished, and unafflicted, life is momentary and deceptive. The body is like an object on loan for but a minute. So that is where I am, in a body on loan but for a minute. And then the next quote, this is from Ajahn Chah, who was a very renowned Thai forest Buddhist teacher. If you are looking for security in that which is inherently insecure, if you are looking for satisfaction in that which is incapable of satisfying, you are bound to suffer. Both of these quotes are pointing at the human condition, the human condition in an unawakened mind, which I happen to have. I don't know about the rest of you, but I have that. So I relate to these quotes very much. The impermanence of all things and my incredible insistence that things are not impermanent that everything is going to just stay exactly the way it is and my somehow delusional idea that I'm safe and secure when frankly there is no such thing. Everything comes and goes and anything can happen at any time. And yet, my human mind spins this incredible story of safety and security always. Nothing will ever change. I live in an assumptive mind state all the time. And like many people, I find myself relying on the deluded idea that Things outside of myself are somehow going to be ultimately satisfying forever, and nothing is satisfying forever. I think my uh, my favorite lesson is um, I come from a long line of in my family. We we don't buy used cars. You know, we <laughs> buy a car new and we use it forever until it's in the ground. Right? Yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> We pay cash for it. And you don't buy a car you can't afford. This is just my family. And you know that first dent is so painful. <laughs> it's just, it never fails. And that's when I see how deluded I really am. But I'm in a continual quandary. I want to awaken, but my mind is not awakened. I was listening to an interview. It's on the wisdom... Podcast which is put out by uh, Wisdom Publications. It's a wonderful podcast, and they did an interview with Joseph Goldstein, which I highly recommend. You're shaking your head, you must have listened to it. It's really great. Anything Joseph does is great, but this was nice because he, he basically got very personal and he was kind of telling the story. So um, at one point, he started to talk about this interweaving that has happened in his life and certainly has happened in my life of all these Buddhist traditions that he studied and how to come to terms with all of them. and Because, you know, the various Buddhist traditions say different things. And so, at one point, awakening, I didn't know. I just knew different Buddhist traditions say differing things about awakening. And I realized I didn't have to have opinions about things I don't know. Rather than take these varying statements as truth, I could practice them as skillful means for freeing my mind of delusion through inquiry into what is delusion and what is non-delusion. And so this is the key to everything we're going to do tonight because I promised you practical, ways you can literally wake up in your life and it's all about inquiry into what is delusion and what is non-delusion mm-hmm. in real time mm-hmm. so like joseph i'm continually asking myself what is the nature of a liberated mind this is the sort of perennial question for me. This awakened mind, one that's freed from the mental agitation of the three poisons, which are hatred, aversion, and fear, and greed, craving, and hope, and delusion, or ignorance, which is avidya. And I want you to think of the three poisons not as a linear three together. Actually, the root is ignorance or delusion, which gives rise to our human tendency to experience uh, hatred and craving. So underneath it all is delusion. And everything comes from that. Everything. And in the Buddhist tradition, every single Buddhist school says, delusion is primordial. What does that mean? It means it's been around since the beginningless beginning. By the way, in Buddhism, there's no beginning. It's a beginningless beginning. If you get born in a human body, you're participating in a species that just functions under the auspices of primordial ignorance. We don't know the way things actually are. The nature of liberated mind is, according to the Buddha, Nibbana. And what Nibbana means is cognitive, affective, and somatic coolness. Coolness. This is the translation of Nibbana. And it isn't just coolness of mind. It's coolness in every single possible way. How we perceive, how we feel, and what the body's doing. That's Nibbana. So the Buddha affirmed the realization that our experiences arise interdependent upon internal and external causes and conditions. And non-delusion means clear seeing. Clear seeing is sampajanya or sampajana. So non-delusion means the clear seeing of emptiness. And emptiness is the interdependent nature of causes and conditions. So a liberated mind perceives the play of phenomena from undiluted or pure awareness and allows all things to be as they are.
1: Getting where the emptiness comes in with allowing the all things to be as they are.
0: So it's very, it's, believe me, I'm gonna go there practically, but I'm glad you asked, so the question was, I don't understand how emptiness relates to allowing things to be as they are. The nature of all phenomena, according to the Buddha, is impermanent. That means it arises, it exists, and it passes away of its own accord, which means we can, if we recognize, that every single moment, every mind state we have, is interdependently connected and caused by the conditions around us and within us. There is nothing that occurs in a vacuum. So, our thoughts, our feelings, Phenomena, it will all arise, exist, and fall away of its own accord. That is the nature of phenomena. We don't have to make things coming up. That's what they do. In the Dzogchen tradition, they talk about phenomena self liberating. So, emptiness means the full on direct recognition that there is no independently existing self inside that has no uh, occurrence on its own, apart from everything else. It doesn't exist this way. That's not the way things are, and yet, because we are wired up for subject-object dualism, we experience a self inside and everything else outside. They don't have anything to do with each other. And that little self in there actually spins an entire construction about the way everything is in there and out there, which also doesn't recognize emptiness. Okay? So non delusion is direct recognition of emptiness. Did that help? Okay. What I want to read to you is my definition in the textbook. of wise understanding or right view, because frankly, right view has everything to do with non-delusion. You can't be deluded and have right view. You just can't. Right view is about non-delusion. Wise understanding or vidya, so primordial ignorance is avidya, and non-delusion or wise understanding slash right view is vidya. This is a process of arriving at the following truths. So there's three truths here that I want to read to you that if you can allow yourself to really get this, you'll understand emptiness. So the first truth, the fundamental purpose of human life is to end suffering by recognizing the dependently originating appearance of all internal and external phenomena. Number two, all human minds are negatively influenced by primordial ignorance and volitional dispositions, which are the habits that rise out of our delusional thinking. Thus, every human being is the owner and heir (coughs) of her or his perceptions, thoughts, Emotions and actions. That's commonly known as karma. Three, because of the immeasurable luminosity of awareness, every moment of human existence is endowed with the potential for full liberation from afflicted perception or primordial ignorance. So, We are here to recognize and liberate ourselves from suffering. (coughs) We all are influenced by primordial ignorance in our perception and the habits that lead us to unskillful actions, thoughts, and feelings. And because we have unskillfulness and we have these habitual distortions in our perception, otherwise known as primordial ignorance, we all are the owners and heirs of the ways that our ignorance shows up in the world. Yet, because awareness is immeasurable, because awareness itself illuminates things as they actually are, and because awareness is available in every single moment, every single moment is endowed with the potential for us to fully liberate ourselves from our affliction, our mental and emotional affliction. Does this is, make sense? Yeah. What book is that? This is my textbook on Buddhist psychology for mental health professionals, Effortless Mindfulness. To give you a very mundane example. Glass of water, yeah? How heavy do you think this glass of water is? Six ounces. Does that seem heavy? It's not so heavy. Heaviness is relative. The heaviness of this glass of water depends how long I'm willing to hold it, right? So I want you to think of me holding this glass of water as me holding on to my delusion. If delusion arose and I recognize delusion, and I immediately chose to put delusion down, right? Well, that wouldn't be a problem if delusion arose, right? Mm -hmm. But if delusion in my mind rose, and I'm not recognizing delusion, or even if I do, but I'm so attached to it, I'm grasping at its truthiness, which is not true, and I just hold on to it, and I get very, very (coughs) fixed with it, and I'm holding it And holding on to it for a very long time, it's going to be extremely heavy. Very heavy. And the sad irony of this the longer I hold it, the harder it is to hold. But the longer I hold it, the more habituated I am to holding it. So I frankly am reluctant to let it go because I actually think I need to hold it. Pretty weird, huh? That's delusion. Non-delusion is recognizing that this is a choice. And I can always let go of my delusion. Are we on the same page? Okay. So how does one do this? Well, there is a very practical set of steps for doing this. The first step is we have to be curious about the nature of our suffering. Without curiosity about what suffering is and how it arises and when it arises, what's happening to me, how am I being in the world, what's happening to everybody else, basically I'm just going to stay deluded because I'm not interested in what suffering is. And We have to get interested in what it is in order to know it because it's just very tricky. It's like um, in the Native American tradition they have a metaphor which is coyote. And coyote is always changing form and showing up in different ways and you know it's showing up as whoever you want it to be, but actually it's coyote and that's suffering. It's not always clearly visible. So recognizing... <coughs> Suffering requires curiosity. And we have to be curious about the causes and constituents of suffering. If we're not, relief will not come. And while it's true that known narratives offer some sufferers comfort and security, most of the known story that the deluded mind is weaving is just highly inaccurate. So we cannot open to and rest in the actuality of distressful experience with a mind that's fixated on hope for relief or fear of continued distress. Remember what I said, not delusion, ignorance is here. Craving for the end of ignorance and aversion to distress, yeah, both of these things arise from this. And that's where we always get stuck. We have to be engaged in compassionately pointing out our own automaticity. And that's a very specific automaticity. It's the way we mindlessly behave through our approach and avoidance reactivity. We don't know we're even doing it when it shows up, because frankly, approach avoidance happens long before we have a thought about it. We're already like, no, get away from me, to distressful experience, before we even have the thought that something terrible is happening. That happens in our body, That's somatic perception. We're wired up for that, to stay safe. We're already being drawn to things that seem very pleasurable before we even have the thought about it. So we have to be able to calibrate our perception so we can begin to have more insight into our processing, even before it's uh, conscious. And we can do that by becoming more aware of our impulses, noticing what's happening in physical reality. The second step, once we get curious about suffering, and we begin to know it, is to explore the actuality of our experience. Yeah, this takes fearlessness, actually. Exploring the actuality of experience, because experience is often quite difficult. So we have to have some measure of fearlessness. And in many of the Buddhist traditions, being a practitioner is sort of... (sighs) Emblematic of fearlessly recognizing the way things are. And the way things are is often quite painful. So we have to have willingness and curiosity <coughs> to explore awareness. Awareness itself becomes our greatest helpmate for this kind of exploration. If we can be aware of difficulty, just that sentence aware of difficulty. If I'm aware of difficulty, am I the difficulty? Am I? Why not? You're the awareness. I might be. I might be aware that I'm causing the difficulty, so I might be both. I might be the difficulty. I might also be aware that I'm the difficulty. But I have a better chance, if I'm aware that I'm the difficulty, I have a better chance of liberating myself from further going down the path of that difficulty, because I'm aware. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I'm not lost completely in the identity of whatever part of my psyche thinks that I have the right to be difficult in that moment. Yeah? I'm not grasping at some identity. And last week, when we went through delusion, so many of you brought up these delusions that have entitlement at their core. I'll give you a good example from my own life. I would say one of the places where I most often get caught in delusion is impatience. Seriously. And when I really look at my own impatience, It's true, I am a New Yorker, I come by impatience honestly, but when I really look at my impatience in the moment when it's happening, every single time what I realize at the core, so impatience is the symptom, the core, the root source of impatience is my sense of entitlement. There's always a feeling of, I have to have what I want now in the way I want it. It's always there. That's delusion. Who says I have to have what I want the way I want it? It's the world is not wired up to revolve around me. But This is a very, very basic daily example of how I suffer from delusion. and. When I'm in the presence of impatience, I've gotten very good as soon as it shows up, recognizing, okay, I'm I'm impatient. And I immediately drop in. And I do the third step here. The first step is be interested in suffering. The second step is explore the actuality of your experience. Oh my gosh, it's here. I'm feeling impatient. As soon as I know that, I immediately drop into my body. Because honestly, impatience doesn't feel very good. That is a way for me to realize that I am causing myself suffering. This particular mental construction I have, that I'm holding on to, whatever it is I'm impatient about, my body is suffering and it's not feeling good. Recognizing the veracity of sensory awareness is critical and I know it's critical because I've been using this in my clinical work for years with my patients. Landing in your sensory awareness cuts through your mental distortions. When you do this there's no need for you to do some of the things that people in my profession recommend like cognitive reappraisal and alternative narratives and all that stuff. Forget the narrative, man. What is really happening here and now in your body or in this world. That's the refuge. And so landing in the refuge of the actuality of experience can immediately unhook you. So when I land, in a moment of impatience, I land in my body, and I know I'm not feeling right. And then I open my senses, and I really, really see the situation that's around me. So let's say one of the places that shows up, again, I'm a New Yorker, is behind the wheel of my car, <laughs> when somebody's going too slow, right? Yeah. And they're in the left lane, of course. <laughs> And immediately the impatience comes up, and I can, if I drop in, once I realize I'm experiencing impatience, it's either because there's actually this horrible narrative going on about that person, or about me, how could I be in this lane, what's wrong with me, you know, it's one of those two things, and, and immediately I drop in, and I can just... Feel I am agitated behind the wheel of a car. And then I look around me, I'm like, you're behind the wheel of a car, Are you nuts. You can't be agitated. This thing could kill somebody. You have you have to get your you have to get it together. And that's the moment where my sensory awareness becomes my ally. I'm behind the wheel of a car. Good. Just land behind the wheel of the car, Lisa. Just do it. Feel your hands on the wheel. Look around you. You know, it's not so bad going so slow. It's very beautiful. You're in Silicon Valley. You're on 280. It's gorgeous. Stanford and the radio telescope and the beautiful mountains. And, you know, wake up. Your mind is telling you a story about what this moment is, but that's not the moment. The moment is you're in a car, a dangerous vehicle, and it's your responsibility to be safe to provide safety for yourself and the other people on the road. Open your heart, open your mind. So I've landed in the actuality of my experience through my senses, my refuge, my senses. And all my irritation just falls away. Now I'm not not deluded anymore, I'm undiluted. This is what we call mini nirvana. This is a mini nirvana moment. No, you may not be fully liberated you know, forever, but this is how you liberate yourself in the moment. And it is very liberating. When you do this, the beauty is that suddenly the narrative, the thing you thought that was so true, becomes utterly transparent. And all the false prior beliefs, you know, all the habitual distortions, all the false notions that we're holding about who we are who this world is, they just become transparent, like they're nothing. They hold no weight anymore. There's nothing to grasp onto. And with that transparency, the afflictive mentation and the the afflictive feelings inside of it equally transparent. And suddenly, there's a sense of the true nature of the way things are. It's much easier to recognize the impermanence and the transparency of mental phenomena when you are landed in the actuality of the experience through your five senses. Because at that point, thoughts are just thoughts. Emotions are just emotions. They have validity as long as they last. Thoughts and emotions don't last very long. Emotions last 10 seconds. Thoughts are even shorter, continually coming and going. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is just turn your attention to the field of mind and watch the show. natural dissolution of something so feared, so loathed, and so gripping as our mental narratives. It seems incomprehensible, but frankly, the actuality of it, that thoughts arise and pass away, body sensations shift and release, naturally, emotions arise, exist, and pass of their own accord. This is the groundless ground of just knowing. And in that groundless ground, self-grasping has nothing to hold on to. You don't even have to create not-self. Seriously, you don't. It's always there. Just let be in what's occurring and rest in the clarity of undiluted awareness. That's step five. So, the inner freedom of resting in the mereness of phenomena, M-E-R-E, mereness. Phenomena as they are, arising, existing, passing of their own accord, this is the mereness. When I have the thought, and I am grasping at it and fixated on the thought that somehow I am bad, Okay, and a lot of people have that underlying a lot of their moments that's a distortion it's not only a distortion in that it's wrong (coughs) there is no such thing as innate badness frankly but it's a distortion in that it's permanent and true it's just we have it all the time it looks like it continues but it doesn't It's just a stream of the same thought and feeling over and over and over again. So even that, even that, if one can actually recognize it directly, it just becomes a mere thought. So just knowing, just feeling, just being with. I know you guys hear this a lot, right? Lots of teachers come here and tell you, just know, be with, right? Well, sometimes it's called awareness itself. This is often sort of uh, like a black box for people. What do you mean awareness itself? I never have a moment where I don't have thoughts with awareness or I don't have vision with, you know, what is awareness itself? So one of uh, the people who I adore most in this world, John Dunn, who's a wonderful Tibetan Buddhist scholar, Um, and he used to be at Emory University for many years, but now he's actually at the University of Wisconsin. I once asked him to explain what is meant by awareness itself. So I thought I would share his answer. He said, One metaphor for awareness itself is luminosity, or the capacity to present content. Every moment of consciousness has this capacity. That is knowingness. One is not trying to discern objects, or abandon or get something. One is just allowing the mind's natural capacity to know. When you are aware of objects, awareness is not a searchlight that points at things. Awareness is more like a fully lit room. All aspects of the knowing process, your thoughts, feelings, all objects outside of you, they're all in the room and they're all being presented at once. The mind has an innate luminosity. It innately has the capacity to know, to illuminate anything that arises. You don't have to do anything to make the mind do this. This is just innate in awareness. And ultimately, when we rest in the phenomenal capacity of mind to illuminate experience, that's the ultimate liberation. That is the ultimate non-delusion. Why? Because this function of mind is beyond anything that could arise. Therefore, it's not caught in anything that could arise, so it's completely open to everything without bias. It's completely unbiased. Anything can arise. From the best of the best experience and all the way over to the worst of the worst, this awareness is completely open-hearted toward anything. There is no resistance, there is no acceptance, there is no grasping, there's nothing. It's just things arise, are known, And they do what they do on their own, which is, of course, falling away. Ultimately, all the insights we can have about suffering and non-suffering spring forth from the rich soil of awareness. And the more one chooses awareness in real time, the greater intimacy we have with the unimpeded and boundless nature of the mind's capacity to know. When we talk about Boundless awareness, that's what we mean. There is nothing that's going to arise in perception that the mind cannot know. Things can be a little more difficult to know, but all things can be known, ultimately. And the last step in this process because you are now knowing things as they are, you can perceive things. Now you get to gain the ultimate insight into the nature of self and world. And from that, act skillfully from within awareness itself. So, what this means is this is active. This means we purposefully choose awareness. And when we do that, it spontaneously potentiates the psyche's ability to recognize its own narrative delusions and easily distinguish them from non-delusion. Remember, we started this with Joseph Goldstein saying, the whole trick here is the inquiry into what is delusion and what is non-delusion. So this means that we can realize many painful truths about how we cause or maintain inner and outer suffering. That is going to happen. And because that's going to happen, we also get to see how we cling (coughs) to unwarranted blame and hatred toward others and life's circumstances and ourselves and how we become lost in delusional prior beliefs and self-grasping. And being a Buddhist means we have to stand in the truth of these uncomfortable insights with courage, with fearlessness and then act on the insights that we have. So that we can dedicate ourselves to developing wisdom and compassion and skillfulness. And, you know, compassion is so critical here. I know for most people it's like an afterthought. You know, everybody thinks mindfulness is the thing to do, but honestly, compassion is the key because you, we are in the presence of difficult truths about ourselves. You know, you can, you can come with the cold sword of mindfulness to that, right? And you can cut through it. But in the end, if you were to open your heart and realize, oh my gosh, I am a human being who is suffering. I'm just like everybody else. If you were to go there first, you would be using the sword of compassion to completely cut through the idea that you're different than everyone. Okay, and that cuts through I'm the worst person in the world. And it also cuts through, okay, I can't possibly do anything wrong. This is all everybody else's fault. It just completely cuts through it all. And it allows us to then land in the ultimate actuality, which is, I have a human mind and my mind is suffering like everybody else's. So. I also have the full-on capacity to liberate myself from this suffering, this moment. Let's go there. Okay, now mindfulness is going to work. Now you want to go mindfully, attend to what did happen or what is happening, and you want to have insight, great, now go, now go. And along the path of that, you're going to have to interject compassion again, because I assure you it's going to be difficult and painful to really see the level of source entitlement and distortion that we carry through every single experience that we have. And in line with this, two more quotes from Shanti Davis, Way of the Bodhisattva. There is no doubt that those with the nature of compassion regard all beings the same as themselves. Furthermore, Those who see this Buddha nature as the nature of sentient beings also see the Buddhas themselves. Why then do I not respect sentient beings? Why do I not see that my future attainment of Buddhahood, as well as any glory, renown, and happiness in this very life, all come from pleasing sentient beings? So here Shantideva is saying, knowing that all beings suffer, including us, how can I not offer respect and generosity and kindness to every single living being, no matter what they're doing, no matter how distorted they are, no matter how deluded they are, no matter how harmful they are? How can I not respect them because this is a being who's suffering in their mind, just like I suffer? It doesn't mean I have to accept what they do or agree with what they do or even grasp at what they do. It also doesn't mean that I don't have the capacity to join in any effort to help them alleviate their own suffering and not cause harm. But what it does mean is hating them is not non-delusion. I know this is hard. That's why I recommend reading the way of the Bodhisattva, because Shantideva doesn't mess around here. He's like, you guys want to be Buddhists? Okay, here we go. You have to go all the way. And he goes all the way by saying, there isn't anything we're going to do for our own pleasure, pleasing ourselves, that will nearly be as beneficial for our own awakening and the awakening of others as attending to the joy of other beings. That's the ticket to happiness. That's non-delusion. And for those of you who still think compassion is not one of the deepest truths. In the Dzogchen tradition of Buddhism, compassion is actually the impulse of all manifestation. The fact that anything manifests comes from the compassionate impulse of emptiness itself. (coughs) This is how emptiness manifests, is compassion, they call it the manifold compassionate energy of pure awareness. So all the things you think you hate, at their core, they are the creative intelligence of this, whatever this is. I don't even know what to call this, this this incredible creation that we live in. So I'm going to end by reading from my book one last time. And I'm only gonna read this because I know you guys can handle this. (laughs) We are not helpless and suffering is not inevitable. Embracing delusion as our precious teacher makes fearless reception of the actuality of self-suffering possible. Courageously know the empty transparency of your own ego wounding and self-fixation in all forms of discursive narration. And your mind will be freed from cognitive, affective enslavement. Liberation is our birthright. So offer up the illusion of the suffering self on the altar of awakened presence. If genuine mental health is your goal, and I pray it is, then I invite you to liberate yourself from the ego's delusions of specialness. The self is just another phenomena, reflected in the mirror of awareness. And not-self is nothing special. If you still cling to the idea that healing resides in truly being seen, then please, do the supreme seeing. See beyond self-delusion vow that each time you get lost in self-distracting unawareness, misperceiving thoughts as anything other than just thoughts, emotions as anything other than just emotions, experience as anything other than just experience, you will choose to recognize self-delusion and rest effortlessly in the luminosity of innate awareness. This human life is precious, don't waste it living in unawareness. Fearlessly, compassionately live in awakened presence. Ultimately, even the illusion of the enlightened self must be renounced. All forms of self sheathe the diamond sword of awareness in concepts. Encased in conceptualizations, perception remains dull and diluted. To bear the sword of non-conceptual awareness, all our concepts, especially those of enlightenment, must be let go. Question all your definitions and concepts of awareness and give up the idea that it can be maintained indefinitely. Awareness is just another term for being undiluted. It arrives with the recognition of unawareness. When this occurs, leave your mind as it is and rest effortlessly, wakefully present for the comings and goings of phenomena. As Anam Thugten says, in the end what we learn on the path is that there is only a dance between delusion and non-delusion. Recognizing delusion is the true non-delusion. So I wish you moment to moment recognition of delusion, so that you can free yourself from delusion right there, in the moment, anytime you wish. Questions? Yes?
1: As I was listening to to Joseph, there's a a remark he makes at about the hour mark. Mm -hmm. And it says something like, and I'm I'm not sure I'm getting all the words right, but uh, the activity of the awakened mind is compassion. Yes. And I've been puzzling about that since I heard it. And you unpacked it so beautifully for me.
0: Oh, how lovely. Thank you. You're you're so welcome. Would you like to unpack it for everyone else? (laughs) No. Are you sure? (laughs) I'm curious, what is it that you get now that you didn't get before?
1: I'm clearer about, but not completely clear just more clear about the arisal of compassion as a response to one's own suffering and also to the suffering of the world. Yes. And and how key that is.
0: Yes. Yes. It is very key.
1: Yeah. And before it was like words, and I was saying, what does he mean exactly? Yes. And now it's like, got it
0: at a mundane level it's hard to say mundane in the awakened mind the same sentence but i'm saying it anyway but at a mundane level the awakened heart mind is one that recognizes that all all things that occur that are difficult or harmful in any way occur because they arise from a mind that is suffering and that human suffering is ubiquitous, and it is a reflection of primordial ignorance. And yet, and yet, this vehicle, this human body, brain, complex, this is the ultimate vehicle for awakening from primordial ignorance. Mm -hmm. And the compassionate impulse from an awakened mind is because there is the full-on continual experience that all of what is occurring is occurring because human beings don't recognize emptiness. They don't recognize the interdependent nature of all things. And therefore, they can seek these things for themselves only and be completely blind to what it means for everything else, and hence the mass of human suffering that we are living at this moment. So... The bodhisattva works for the liberation of all beings, meaning works in whatever way we can to be able to allow other beings to recognize the way things actually are, to recognize the interdependent of all phenomena. That's the compassionate impulse of the awakened mind.
1: So I'm wondering why, why the reaction is compassion instead
0: of indifference. Well, emptiness does not lead to indifference. Nihilism leads to indifference, mm-hmm. and emptiness is not nihilism. So it's anything but nihilism. It is the full-on recognition that every single thought I have has an impact, always, so why would I ever be indifferent about my thoughts? Wouldn't I be much more likely to want my thoughts to be of a certain nature, so that I am cultivating well-being for all beings everywhere? Indifference is delusion. Mm-hmm. It is not non-delusion.:
1: well, I think that we all probably have these experiences
0: of the mind.: Yes,. Keep I know you have. <laughs> but we go back and it's delusion.
1: And yes. My, my question here then is about the quote: "It's all only a dance between delusion and non-delusion."
0: In every single moment, ex- existence is just merely a dance. It's it's the interplay of whether or not we recognize, and that's non-delusion, or we don't recognize, and that's delusion. So this is.
1: Does this mean that delusion
0: is always going to be with us? That's why it's called primordial ignorance. As long as there are human beings in human bodies, human beings and human bodies will be born with primordial ignorance as our signature. However, we are born in a vehicle that is the ultimate vehicle for awakening and liberating ourselves from primordial ignorance. So, it's not a problem that we arrive in a body that is steeped in primordial ignorance because we have the capacity to liberate ourselves from it in any moment through recognizing. But, that,
1: but that in some sense, I mean, as life goes on, the delusion recurs and so we have to wake up again. It's sort of like it
0: isn't a question of have to. That is the delusion that there's some kind of continuance of nirvana. The fact that we can wake up is the joy of life. It isn't a have to. It's a total invitation. Wow! I get to wake up every single moment. That's amazing. The joy of it is that, you know, the brain is plastic. So the more you are awakening, you're creating lots of new synapses and new neural pathways for awakening. So you're deluded less and less. You know, it's more effortless. You're you're awake more. That's all. You recognize more. It's just more your habit. You're just developing the habit of enlightenment.
1: It's a learning curve rather than an achievement.
0: Well, you know, that's another talk I could give in October. (laughs) Sudden awakening, gradual awakening. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that when I'm back here in October. So thank you all so much. We really have to stop.